Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. In London, I'm Stefan Cohn. In Olympia, Washington, I'm Andrea Ballard. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. In today's show, we continue our Bonbons and Bars Month with a super tasty treat, homemade English toffee. We'll also review our Blizzard Blondies from last week and delight your senses with some of the sweet smells of the holidays. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, do you recall back in episode 44 where I gave a big thumbs down to the book The Woman in Cabin 10 by Ruth Ware? I do remember this. Yes, it was not one of your favorites. <laughs> it was not. And only because she used the plot device of the main character having had too much to drink. And that's why yep. she couldn't remember what happened. And that, for me, is not a mystery. Uh, it's because you had too much to drink. <laughs> I believe one of my all-time favorite comebacks to you on that was, um, that's not a mystery, that's just bad judgment. Right. So, <laughs> but I in know. that episode, you encouraged me to give Ruth Ware another try, and you threw out a couple of titles, and I must have just, you know, gone onto my library website and put a hold on them, because I really didn't give it any thought other than that. And then, um, you know, lo and behold, I got my little message from my library that a book was waiting for me, and I went to pick it up. It was called The Lying Game and it was by mm. Ruth Ware. Mm-hmm. So I looked at it and I thought, oh, this must have been the one Stefan recommended. And I just finished it and I loved it. Well, I'm so glad because I've, I've, I have not actually read that. I think I had just, it's in my huge list of like what to read next. Yeah. And when we were talking about that, it jogged my memory because of the author's name. So great. I'm glad. Well, she's redeemed herself. She redeemed herself with me. If you liked Donna Tartt's the Secret History, which still yeah. mm-hmm. remains on one of my all-time favorite books ever. This, to me, was very reminiscent of that book. It involves four girls at boarding school, and it's a mystery. And I will say no more than that, but <gasps> I think it is a fun read. So pick up The Lying Game by Ruth Ware and let me know what you think. Well, I have a book to talk about as well, but there is, as far as, well, I shouldn't say this. There may be some alcoholic-induced um, amnesia I don't know yet (laughs) I just got it today so Andrea I think you are a fan of the Hallmark Channel or the the, all the holiday movies that are on this time of year do I remember that correctly not only am I a fan I have discovered a new podcast called Hallmarkies where (laughs) they review the countdown to Christmas holiday movies on Hallmark and I'm just so happy to know that I'm not alone there's actually a lot of us out there it's embarrassing to admit that you love these movies because they are so cheesy and predictable but for some reason at this time of year that's all my brain wants to sink into and I can just spend a whole weekend watching Hallmark countdown to Christmas well, then you may not, you may be exactly the right person to tell about this book. I had no idea there was a whole genre of books in the same vein as the Hallmark Christmas movies. Oh, yeah. 
And I had no idea. And I was at the library. So shout out to the Fulham Library. And they nicely pull out kind of seasonal selections. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of turned the corner and ran smack dab into their Christmas books. And it was Christmas cookbooks and crafting books. And then row after row of these Christmas stories. And so I picked up today... Uh, the Chocolate Lover's Christmas by Carol Matthews, which sounds like one of those fake author names, you know, like um, right. who wrote Nancy Drew, uh, <laughs> right? Carolyn Keene. It sounds like one of those names. So apologies to Carol if you're a real living person. But um, I will let you know how it goes because it is kind of the same, what I think of as completely mindless. You know, I just, I read a lot of heavy duty books in my mm-hmm. rest of the year. So right now I can just pick up, um, you know, it, the kind of reviews on the front and the back say things like fabulously enjoyable or I'm a Carol Matthews addict, <laughs> says Mary Berry. Like, <laughs> there you go. So, that's exactly. That's so. it's sometimes what you need this time of year. Yeah. If you like those kind of books, if you enjoy that one, um, look up another lady. She's called Jenny Hale, H-A-L-E. And she has books like A Christmas to Remember or A Coming Home from for Christmas. Those have been turned into some of the Hallmark movies that I enjoy. If oh, you're looking okay. for something that is um, less sugary, sappy, sweet, I can also recommend from Erin Hildebrand the Winter Street series. So these are set in Nantucket, and they all happen around Christmas time. I thought when I picked the first one up that it was like a Hallmark-type book. But very early on in the first or second chapter, you find out that the main character's wife is having an affair with the gentleman who plays Santa Claus at their inn. And so <laughs> I no, Im- no, no. I immediately was like, oh, this is not a Hallmark book. And um, I really enjoyed it. I read all of those in one week on our road trip to Arizona. So they're a really quick read and they just put you in the mood for the holidays. Um, And I've never been to Nantucket and she does such a great job of just evoking that island. And for me, I always had summer thoughts about Nantucket. That's what it meant Mm. to me. So to read her perspective on Nantucket at Christmas time, I found that really enjoyable. She has a whole um, branch of books that are not anything Christmas related, but are still set on Nantucket. So I've read some of her others. And it's kind of Leanne Moriarty-ish yes. in, in a way. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a yep. good way of describing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the, best. the other thing I wanted to ask you about holiday related is your eggnog brewing. Well, as of recording this episode, there is no eggnog brewing at the Cone household. And <laughs> what? part of the pro- – I know. It's it's still coming. It's still coming. Okay. Like it's, definitely, it's definitely on the plan. This is really kind of my husband's – he really loves to be involved in this. Part of the problem, Andrea, is – and we just have to throw some time at this problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> where to buy liquor is just a, enough different here that we're still kind of getting our feet under us as far as where that is. You can – Get most liquor, but not all, at the grocery stores. But then sometimes you have to go to these places called an off-license. Oh, you can also okay. go to um, uh, like a, a spirits, wine, a wine store. But then if it's wine and spirits, then sometimes they'll have harder alcohol too. So it's really just we need to, we need to just go possibly to a few places and just get our stash. Because we didn't, we didn't really have I – mean, you know, we didn't travel with any hard alcohol. We're having to, like, lay in new supplies of most right. things. So, oh, interesting. Um, 
I remember seeing those off-license stores now in London, and I, I do remember that now. They were usually kind of tucked away off the main street, so... And I do think they're kind of an anachronism now. I don't. I think it's from a different kind of licensing era, mm-hmm. and I think rules are different now. But still, we'll notice that you know maybe a grocery store will only have a few brands, or they'll have just a certain type of liquor, or you know that could be down to the the, the uh, grocery stores we're looking at too. But um, mm. anyway, so yeah, we just need to need to get on that. I think we still can get it in under the wire. Um, you know, it's it's good for. It's good for the holiday season. I think, I think so. you'll be fine, yeah. The reason I'm asking is I heard about something that could theoretically replace eggnog, and so I'm really curious to try it out. I was listening to a Bon Appetit food cast episode, and they were interviewing celebrity chef Bobby Flay, and mm, he was yes. talking about how he makes his Thanksgiving meal. So that was a kind of fun episode. There's actually two episodes, Thanksgiving number one and Thanksgiving number two, and um he talks about, you know, he has 50 people come over and he makes three 30-pound turkeys. And it's just crazy all the stuff he does. But he mentions that he makes coquito, I think is how it's pronounced. And it is a coconut eggnog. And what intrigued me about it is that, um, number one, it doesn't have eggs in it. And number two, I think I might be able to make it lactose-free because um, of the emphasis on coconut milk instead of regular milk. Um, It does also have evaporated milk and sweetened Mm -hmm. condensed milk, but I think Mm -hmm. I can find lactose-free versions of both of those. So um, so it's the traditional recipe is evaporated milk, cream of coconut, coconut milk, sweetened condensed milk, rum, vanilla extract, and ground cinnamon. And what intrigued me about it as well was Bobby Flay said this has completely completely replaced eggnog in his house and he's not making eggnog ever again now that he started making this so I thought does he does Bobby still make it like ahead of time or is that more of a thing you can whip up kind of when you want it? I think it's more of a whip up when you want it I mean I don't think it would necessarily hurt from aging but it's not like our recipe that we did that actually needed the aging so there's a ton of recipes if you um, just go to Google and type in Puerto Rican coconut coconut eggnog. You'll find all sorts of recipes out there. And some of them do have egg yolks in them. So it just depends on, you know, whether you want to use that or not. I've seen some of them have ginger in them. Some of them have cloves in them. Um, all of them mention that the rum is optional, which just cracks me up. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think like just a huge cold milk beverage uh, does not appeal to me. <laughs> Without, without the rum in it. But, of course, you know, there are some people who don't don't like rum or don't want alcohol. And so that, that you could certainly still enjoy your cold milk beverage. Well, this is a good recipe for people who just don't, who are not interested in messing around with the uncooked egg. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. you just want to, want to sidestep that entirely. We're really looking forward to making it here because the quality of the, of the cream and the eggs are so outstanding. So we're really... Um, hoping this is going to be a batch to remember. We just gotta gotta get to the liquor liquor store. So. All right. Well, let us know how that turns out. I can't wait to hear about it. Well, we last week introduced the first of our bar cookie from our bonbons and bars month. We're going to be alternating between some candy making this month and then also some easier uh, laid back bar cookies. And the first one we are tackling was called a Blizzard Blondie. This was a recipe from a Red Book magazine a couple of years ago. 
This is a very, very pretty bar cookie. It has pistachios, dried cranberries, and white chocolate chips uh, throughout, and then again on top. You've got a pretty standard uh, vanilla cookie base with sugar, brown sugar, butter, salt, a lot of vanilla, one tablespoon, uh, and then some eggs. Andrea, we had both made this recipe before, so I'm, I'm guessing we both are, are fans of it. Uh, did it work out again for you this time? Oh, it so worked out for me. Um, <laughs> I love this recipe. I love it this time of year. I don't make it any other time of year, I, which I don't know why you certainly could, but it just so says holiday to me with the, you know, the red cranberries, the green pistachios, the white chocolate chips. Um, I did make a substitution because, you know, that's how I roll. Uh, instead, of, <laughs> instead of dried cranberries, I use dried sour cherries. So yeah. they've still got yeah. that same deep red color. They're a little bit bigger, a little bit plumper. Um, so I think if I, I – and I really enjoyed the substitution. I think if I do it again, I'm going to cut them in half because mm -hmm. um, it, it, it does make it – like when you're cutting the bars, it does make it a little bit trickier because you're cutting through a lot of those whole dried sour cherries and and then they kind of pull out and leave a gap in your bar. I made what I consider a rookie mistake on these, and I'm really mad at myself for it. And that is um, related to the presentation. So I I whipped these up on an early morning. I actually got up early one morning and thought, well, I'll just start ba baking. You know, why not? And so I made them That's before. That's going to be a good day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I made them before my daughter even woke up. So it was like six in the morning. So they were coming out of the oven at like seven in the morning. And um, then I, you know, walked the dog and I took her to school and I had, you know, a couple things going on. So when I got back home, it had been at least two hours. And okay. um, they still felt maybe a touch bit warm but I just really wanted to get them cut and uh, so I didn't wait until they were completely cooled and as I was cutting into them the middle was really gooey which was odd because I had tested with a you know little toothpick to make sure that they were done yeah. and yeah. and it had passed that test so I'm like what the heck is going on here so I kind of lost a lot of pieces in the middle I mean they were so gooey I could not cut them into squares so I ended up just rolling them into balls oh um, my god I know oh. so I did have all my outer edges were fine and beautiful, and they cut into squares wonderfully. But then I had maybe, I don't know, eight to ten of these little goo balls, for lack of a better term. And so I was like, what a bummer, you know. But the funny thing is, so I just put all those on the cookie sheet to, you know, cool down or on the plate that I was going to use to serve them. And it wasn't until later that afternoon I went back and I was packaging up the bars to take somewhere. And of course, the ones that I had rolled into ball, balls were not at all attractive. So I was like, I'm not about to bring this to anyone. I'll just eat these. And I pop one in my <laughs> mouth and it was so good and it was totally set up. I mean, it did not taste raw yes. at all. So I was like, oh, it wasn't that they were underbaked. It was that I just didn't let it cool long enough. Okay. Okay. Yes. yes. So. There's my warning. If you guys well, um, make these, just do let them cool because that way they'll be much prettier when you cut them. And they do have that kind of nice brownie, you know, we are team um, fudgy brownie. Team fudgy so brownie, you could, yes. you could be team fudgy blondie too. You kind of do want that consistency. What these remind me of in many ways uh, are a Toll House cookie bar. You know, when you yes. just make the, yeah. the chocolate chip cookies but in the bar pan. And in fact, 
I what I did on this batch uh, recently is I substituted semi-sweet chips in the batter and then I just put white chocolate chips on top I'm not a huge white chocolate person but I think the presentation yeah. is really pretty here with mm-hmm. the white on top I agree. so I did that um I really like the the consistency being that nice chewiness mm-hmm. the flavor is so pretty uh, the only you know thing other otherwise I would mention um, and I mentioned this last time in episode um, 54 just go ahead and splurge on the shelled pistachios. I could not find them here. I could oh, no. only get the shelled. And I'm it was sorry. just so tedious. It was so tedious. Oh, I was so missing my bulk food bins at, at uh, my good old grocery store in Seattle. But, oh. um, anyway, of course, you know, I, I prevailed, but it was mm. it was a lot of work. If you have them shelled already, it's it comes together very easily. It's so pretty. And, um, you know, I think it's a little bit, it's a bar cookie, but it's still, it's kind of classy. It's kind of dressed up bar cookie. It's not, like you said, you only make them at the holidays. It looks really seasonally appropriate. I think it's, I think it's a great win for, you know, if you have um, gatherings or potlucks or these type of things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I do too. So I hope people will try that and post some pictures if you guys make it. We'd love to see how yours turned out. Our next recipe is homemade English toffee, and this comes from a friend who both Stefan and I have known for years, and it is her mother's recipe. So Stefan, um, our friend Jeannie, I believe, made this for you. Was it after you had one of your children, or were you recovering from a, a surgery or something? Yes, it was when I was recovering from an appendectomy. That and, was it. Um, it was really horrible. Anyway, I won't get into those details, <laughs> but um, so many people brought me. You came over. You brought me stuff, and people brought me movies, and and you know your appetite's not great after a major surgery, no. but um, somehow I managed to eat an entire plate of English toffee. <laughs> so. <laughs> thank you, the, thank you, doctor. It was just what the doctor ordered. Thank you, Doctor Jeannie. Um, I am a huge fan of toffee. My world favorite toffee um is the disneyland toffee that you buy on main street usa so i okay i dearly love it it's like the one thing i always have to get when i'm when i'm down at at disneyland and um genie's toffee is fabulous i've never made it so this will definitely be a challenge week for me yes Um, and i had never made toffee either in fact really my only toffee experience was the good old heath bar at the grocery store which i loved so So yes yes i think it wasn't until i think Jeannie makes this toffee every year for her holiday party and so i knew i was getting it once a year and that it was amazing it's so much softer than regular toffee that you get in the grocery store and it just is richer and of course it tastes fresher i mean you just feel like it was just freshly made so um, oddly enough, I mean, once again, coinciding with uh, health issues and this toffee. Um, oh, no. <laughs> I know. We, the the one time that I have made it, I well, I haven't yet made it, but I did have Jeannie walk me through it step by step when I was in um, Seattle for my husband was having a, a brief procedure done at a hospital in Seattle. He's fine, by the way. But um, yeah, she yeah. was kind enough to let me stay at her house uh, so that I didn't have to sleep in the hospital room and 
you know, I said I really want to see how to make this toffee, and we just ran out of time to do it together, but she gave me a quick run-through, and that is when she told me about the flat whisk. So I Mm -hmm. mentioned that last week on episode 54. She feels the flat whisk is essential, that you're constantly stirring so that it does not burn. She also just insisted with me that I use a heavy-bottomed pan. So whatever pan that you have, you want to look for one that has the, the that thickest bottom. You do not want a thin pan when you're making this. So those are her two big tips. Um, another thing that she used when chopping the nuts was a nut chopper. So do you have a nut chopper, Stefan? No, we could have talked about this last episode in the one-off gadget garage. What is a nut chopper? Yeah, it's funny because I my mean, mom, aside from I know my the mom, obvious. <laughs> my mom actually has one of these, and I've never used it. I always just use a knife to chop my nuts. But a nut yes. chopper, it sort of looks like an hour. Like imagine a plastic hourglass shape, but okay. imagine at the top you've got a plunger, and so you press up and down on the plunger, and there's a blade on the bottom, oh. and the blade is shaped like a big wavy s almost like a potato masher okay okay Okay. um again very difficult to describe in words but i i can post a picture of it and and the reason Jeannie said this is essential is that this is the only way to get the nuts fine finely enough chopped and so you know if you do recall her toffee the nuts are very finely chopped so i'm sort of um struggling with this one i don't want to go buy another you know one use gadget but i do agree that this is um very difficult to chop nuts this finely with just a knife. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do about that yet. Yeah, and I mean, I sometimes blitz nuts in the food processor. You have to watch that really carefully because you can go from kind of chopped nuts to nut butter really quickly. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. um, mm, yeah. all right. Okay. Okay. This is this is something to think about as far as as far as those nuts. Um, all right. All right. Well, so yeah. remember, we'll have a link to these recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Pinterest and our Facebook group pages. So we hope you will um, join along with us and try some homemade English toffee, and we'd love to see your results. We're going to shift our topic away from um, toffee to holiday smells, or perhaps Aww. I should say holiday scents. That sounds a little more yeah, pleasing. <laughs> doesn't it yes I know um for me Christmas is definitely a time of really good smells um I know the smell of pine and a real Christmas tree is kind of essential to me I'm really struggling with this one because I do quite honestly think both my husband and daughter are allergic (laughs) because the minute I haul that tree into the house every year the two of them just start sniffling and sounding really stuffed up so at some point I might have to break down and and get the fake tree, but I'm not there yet. Um, I also just love the sort of orange and balsam mixture. You know, it's like cinnamon and citrus and ginger and vanilla. So sometimes I'll sort of make my own potpourris and uh, throw them on the stove to get some good smells going. I don't tend to buy um, scented candles or any of those, you know, 
I don't know, even know what you call them, like things you plug into the wall that smell. Yeah, I, like room freshener. Type right, of thing. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, my husband's very sensitive to smells, so he doesn't like anything artificial, um, but he's he's fine with stuff that's like, no, it smells like that because it really is that item. Um, peppermint, mulled wine, um, gingerbread. So these are some of my favorite smells of Christmas. And one of the last ones I wanted to mention is... Um, Something I made every year in Girl Scouts. Were you, were you ever in Girl Scouts as a young child? I was a campfire girl. I was the competing girl organization. Oh. Yes. <laughs> a little face off here. Yes. Well, um, my time in Girl Scouts, I don't remember a lot of. In fact, I think I got kicked out because I talked too much. But um, <laughs> but I do I do recall <laughs> the one item that we made every year was an orange, and we would stick it with cloves. So real yeah. hold cloves. We would take that pointy yes. end and stick it all over the orange, and then we would give that to our mother as a holiday present. And, um, you know, just you're sitting there holding that orange for at least an hour as you're stabbing it with the cloves all over. So you get that orange and the clove scent all over your hands, and Anytime I smell those two things together, I just think immediately of Christmas and I'm transported back, yeah. you know, 40 years to when I was a little girl sitting in my in my little Girl Scout uniform and making that present. That's definitely one for me as well. And um, the, the scent of fir and cedar, you know, uh, coming from Washington State um, in the U.S., which is a huge exporter of Christmas trees. And all my life, I've gone to chop down a Christmas tree on a Christmas tree farm and it's one of my very favorite things here in London we are we ordered our tree from a wonderful website called Pines and Needles because the Brits love their puns wait 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 what do you mean you ordered your tree from a website yeah yeah I just went online and I said I want a tree and I want it delivered on December 1st and up they rolled so Oh my God! Anything delivered in this city. So the one drawback of this service is that because uh, we don't have a car, even if we could oh, that's like, travel, true. Like, right? You know, I, how we would get it home would just you be just so see you dragging it. Home. Actually, this would be a classic Hallmark Christmas scene if yeah. you were to be dragging it home and some some dashing young man came running up to help you carry it. Well, I already have my dashing young man, and he decided that our order. <laughs> online sounded like a good plan too so oh my god um, yeah so the the thing is that they're called a um a nordman fur and the oh. closest thing i can tell you is that it looks like a douglas fur a little bit okay. which is a more common thing mm-hmm, in the in mm-hmm. the states um but it doesn't have a smell so that's what? just something i'm i'm missing because at home in the states i choose a tree almost exclusively for its smell right um, i really like a grand fur which mm-hmm. has to fantastic Christmassy smell so that's just a little bit of of difference as much as I love having my tree just show up like at dinner time um, at the door I loved that oh my um, gosh yeah well you gotta take the new with the old I the truth I knew that you might struggle a little bit to find some of the things that you were used to so one thing that I found that I think is really interesting um, you and I both huge fans of Gretchen Rubin and you know she's really into scents and she um, she loves to talk about a um, olfactory store called CB I Hate Perfume and it's Mm -hmm. in New York City and it's got just some really interesting 
um, scents that are obviously all handcrafted and kind of crazy expensive. But I did um, go on there because I thought, well, I wonder if they have any sort of, you know, holiday scents. And sure enough, they have one called Gingerbread, number Mm -hmm. 603. It is a limited edition, so it's only available until, I think, December 31st. And reading the description, it said it's a blend of Chinese ginger root, Indonesian fresh ginger, nutmeg, cinnamon, allspice, mace, and Tahitian vanilla absolute. So I thought to myself, well, I think I could make that myself. Whip that one up. Just whip oh that up gosh. from my pantry. And yeah, I, think um, they're, I think the thing about that company is that they do sense, like you said, that might be a little off-putting. But mm-hmm. but actually, one of the memories of Christmas time to me is that kind of musty smell of like getting out the ornaments from like the basement or the attic or you know something <laughs> that's just been packed away. And it's not it's not like a gross smell. It's just that that mustyish. Just so that maybe, attic. Maybe CBI that attic I hate perfume has has musty. I don't know. (laughs) That is funny. You know, that's not a good smell for me. And I think it's because I grew up in such a humid environment. And so, you know, in New Orleans, if you're smelling that, it usually means mold. And I would say even the Mm. same thing in in Seattle or Olympia. Um, If I smell musty now, I immediately, my thoughts turn to mold because it's so, so damp here. But I could see like, like I'm imagining an attic with those, the sunlight streaming in in the summer, and you can see those dust motes sort of floating in the air, and that smell, and that yes. that does sound good to me. So yes. I, I can see liking that. I just haven't personally had that experience in my own home. When I smell it, I, I start to get anxious, thinking that something's about to go off. Well, the other kind of unusual smell that I always associate with is so in my in my house growing up, we never had candles. Like candles, I don't know if that's just more of a trend or if we just didn't just didn't. Um, I think do it's that. more of I a trend. Candles yeah. all the time now, right? But um, but we did have these candle centerpieces that my mom would bring out for like the dining room table or the coffee table, and they always had a candle in them. So just the smell of like that, like a match being struck, that, yes. that very first mm-hmm. smell of lighting a candle, that always smells like Christmas time to me as well. So I'm, something I'm I smell laugh- kind of all the time. But. I'm laughing right now thinking about a little incident in our house last night. We... Um, I was walking through the hallway and I kept thinking I smelled wood smoke. And I know my neighbors have, both my neighbors on either side have wood fires, so uh, wood burning fireplaces. So I thought, well, maybe it's them. But then I was like, no, it's just right in this one spot in the hallway. And I called (laughs) my husband over and I said, come stand right here. So he came and he stood next to me and I said, do you smell something? He goes, yeah, I smell smoke. I go, okay, I do too. Well, then he, of course, turns and looks and points at our daughter's bedroom door. And he said, you know, it's got to be her. And so (laughs) I opened the door and um, she wasn't in there and there was no sign of smoke, but definitely the smell was stronger. So I called her down and I said, what is going on here? So she had burned a candle, which is fine. She's allowed to burn candles in her room. When she first started doing it, I, I had made the rule that she always had to tell me when she was burning a candle because I wanted to make sure we blew it out before we left the house but you know over the years she's proven really good at doing that so we you know relaxed on that rule but I said why am I smelling it so strongly though I don't normally you know smell it when you're doing this and she said well I I want I took some of my hair out of my head and I burned it and I think that's what you're smelling what (laughs) 
And it, as soon as she said that, both my husband and I were like, you're absolutely right. That's what we're smelling. And so um, it wasn't until we were in bed later that night, we're laying there about to fall asleep. And my husband goes, do you know why she was burning her hair? Hey, that was not your follow-up question. No. I mean, I realize it sounds logical now upon retelling the story that that would be the next question. But I think we were just so relieved to discover the source of the smell that it didn't occur to us to ask about She wasn't it. sneaking cigarettes or something in the, in the <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah, maybe that uh, was it. Maybe we were uh-huh. like, whew, all right, well, it's not yeah, right. something we need to worry about. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what. I mean, we could start our own, like, edgy perfume company just based on <laughs> So that's what I, that's what I was last just three. thinking. I was thinking to myself, oh, burnt hair, number 572, <laughs> limited edition. When we make it big with this podcast, we're just totally opening our own boutique, like, you know, preheated scents. <laughs> so there you go. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get to the dishes. Next week, we're reviewing our homemade English toffee, and we'll introduce another bar, some easy and delicious gingerbread cookie bars, perfect for a holiday buffet or potluck. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and you can download us on Google Play or Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a five-star review both of which will help other people find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.